Good morning. We are in Advent. Uh, that doesn't mean countdown to Christmas, by the way. The word Advent means coming, so we could talk about the advent of the automobile or the advent of the cell phone, but Advent isn't about celebrating technology. It's about the advent of Jesus. We are doing two things. We're remembering that Jesus has come, and we are remembering that he is coming again. And that is why we do this anticipation. We're not just anticipating our worship on Christmas Eve. We're anticipating our celebration of Jesus' return. Well, we're going to look at Isaiah 11 this morning. And there's something in this passage that's so beautiful that you are going to have a hard time believing it. I'm warning you. So I'd like us to pray together before we get started. Just ask the Lord to show you something from this passage that you need this morning, and then I'll pray for us. Father, you have spoken to us through the prophets. Long ago, you gave Isaiah these words, and they speak to us this morning still. May we not just hear them, but may we apply them to how we approach our lives together. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it begins this way, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. We, we sang a song about that last week. I don't know if you recognize it, but when we sang, He shall reign over all the earth, it's from this passage. And it's talking, obviously, about Jesus. It's talking about how this root of Jesse is going to bear a branch. That's what it's called. That's what he's called. Now, the context is significant because in the passage before it, uh, chapter 10, he is all describing the judgment that's going to come on the nations around Israel, specifically Assyria. And if you know, you remember your history, Assyria was the one that wiped out the northern kingdom that took them into captivity. And if you read it in Kings, you'll read about how Hezekiah had an encounter, you know, all of that kind of dramatic. Assyria was threatening Judah. Well, God dealt with them, and Isaiah prophesies about how all these nations are going to be wiped out, and he talks about the forest in Lebanon being just leveled. And the commentators talk about that. There's this kind of imagery of a forest, and so that's where you get the idea of stumps, and you get this picture of this forest being leveled. But the contrast is, and this is what the commentators say, that cedars in Lebanon, they don't grow again. You, you cut off the stump, and they don't they don't produce. And I, I'm not a biologist, don't know about anything like that, but that's what the commentators say. But the next passage talks about the stump, Jesse, the root, bearing fruit, having a branch that comes. And so think about how Israel was uh, taken into captivity, Judah was taken into captivity, and the kingly line was seemingly gone. There weren't kings anymore. And yet there are these promises about David having line. So think about how 
where Isaiah is writing, think about what they were experiencing. They had these massive, these massive empires around them. Assyria is going to get taken over by Babylon. You've got this going on, and then, then Israel is tiny, and so it's just dark. And yet there's this promise here. So you, you know this phrase, it's always darkest before the dawn. It, it's easy for us to get overwhelmed by the news around us that is big and seemingly powerful and seemingly dark. We can just be overwhelmed by it. But there's this promise given in Isaiah about this keeping of God's purposes. So what were those promises? Well, if you look at first, Second Samuel, there's this promise to David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, think about what's going on in Israel and how they were taken into captivity. That doesn't look like it's even possible. And then you've got um, the promise in Jeremiah, for thus says the Lord David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And what we see here is in, in this passage, God is talking about how this stump, it looks like it's over, it looks like it's done, it looks like it's cut out. It's going to have a branch that comes from it. Jesus, and this is obviously talking about Jesus, but it gets better. So then he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we know from the Gospels, if you read Luke, the emphasis of the work of the Spirit with Jesus is there. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Yes, I know he's God, and we get all kind of puzzled about that. But he's filled with the Spirit. He's empowered by the Spirit. And there's, there's three sets of two in this passage that are beautiful to think about. So there's the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is a king. He is a ruler, he is the one who comes and he has the intellectual grasp. He has the intelligence to see things as they really are. So he has understanding. How, how good is it to have a ruler, to have a governor who has understanding? And then it says that he not only has that, he has the spirit of counsel and strength. So he has the intelligence to understand things, but then he has the ability to see what needs to be done and the strength and the capacity to do it. You know, a lot of people have great ideas, but they don't have the ability to implement them, to make them happen. This one does. He has the counsel and strength, and then the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You know, sometimes people talk about Christianity as a religion, you know, and our response to that, well, no, it's a relationship. Uh, that's a little bit too anemic for my tastes. I love this phrase, the fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean terror. It means this deep respect. And you look at the life of Jesus, and you see his honoring his father. You see this, this beauty of his submission. And that's what the, we have here, this knowledge of God. So here's the one that's coming, and he's fulfilling these promises about David's line. We sang about them again this morning, about Jesus reigning. And I just ask you, who do you want to govern you? Like, we, we see all the time unintended consequences where people try to make laws to do good things, and there are consequences that come from them that, that aren't the best. How good is it to experience perfect 
perfect rulership. And that's the prophecy here, is that Jesus is coming, and he's going to come in the spirit, and he's going to come in this perfect reign. But it gets better. So then he says, he will, del- he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. With righteousness. He will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. We are too familiar with people getting it wrong. I I saw an article this week about a man who was released from prison after 40 years. He was released after 40 years of a crime he didn't commit. He, he, he never, you know, he, he said he always professed his innocence and finally somebody believed him and did the research to get him. There was no, there was no justification. He just got imprisoned. You can imagine how, that, how hard that would be. And we've seen those kinds of things in the past. With this one, with Jesus, there's no mistake. He's not deceived. He's not fooled. He judges with righteousness perfect righteousness and he decides for the poor with fairness you know too often we experience where people have the ability to pay or bribe their way into something that's not right and the poor or the afflicted have no voice or have no ability to 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 get justice and that's where we see this promise of jesus coming and having a perfect reign and perfect authority. And he also has the ability to deal with the wicked in the right way, justly and appropriately. Okay, that's all kind of stuff that we can kind of imagine. Now we're getting to the stuff that, frankly, it's hard to imagine. So, here we go. Oh, I just... Summary, perfect knowledge to discern what's true and right, power and authority to bring it to justice. Okay, here we go. So, let me just read it. I want you to imagine this. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. So if you look at older commentators, they will say this is a metaphor. That it's not what's actually going to happen. It's a metaphor for you know, people that would normally eat, bite, and devour one another, not doing it anymore. I don't think it's a metaphor. This is like Eden. This is like a transformation of all of society. I saw, um, you know, I've been trying to learn woodworking and in searching on, on YouTube, I found this video. A guy had raised a lion cub, and I guess later as the lion was raised, um, when he didn't have room in his house anymore, he took it to a zoo. So years later, he went back to visit it, and he went into the cage with the lion and the lioness came to him, put her, put her paws on his shoulders and like hugged him. You know, 
Not sure that, you know, that would be your first inclination to get into a cage with a lion and get hugged, but you saw the joy and delight because she recognized him and knew him. And you get this taste of all the kinds of things that are harmful in our world not being that way anymore. That's why I say this is hard to imagine. So it gets better because then it says the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You, can you imagine a world, can you imagine living where there is no danger or threat? Where there is no harm? Where you can send your children out and not be worried about something biting them or hurting them? That's what I say. We, see, we are so used to sin. We are so used to fear. We are so used to danger that we can't imagine a place of peace and joy and safety. And yet that's this future that is promised for us. Can you imagine a world filled with the knowledge of God? The picture there is as the waters cover the sea, how wet is the ocean? <laughs> like people saturated with the knowledge of God. Not, not just, oh yeah, there probably is a God someplace, but no, knowing God, knowing God for who he is, Worshiping and delighting in him, fearing God in the way that is good and beautiful. Again, that's, that's the glorious future that God has for us. That is what we want to invite people to taste and see and glimpse. That's what it means when Jesus comes back. So I, I've got three responses that I think might be appropriate to a passage like this. The first is, do not let the evils of our day drain you of hope and confidence in God. Kathy and I have been doing some painting, and I don't know what you guys are like when you paint, but you, know, you have to kind of tear everything apart to, to get to the walls, and especially when it's the kitchen, you know, that's kind of a bad room to paint because... You can't go in the kitchen and you know, just do what you want because you've got stuff stacked around. It. it makes a mess, is my point. Whenever you're going to paint something, you've got to make a mess. But then when you get done with the mess, you're glad because you've know, you got freshly painted walls and it looks better. But you have to go through the mess. We're in the mess right now. We're in the mess of a world that's not right. Don't let the mess discourage you from getting a vision of God's good purposes. Second, expand your vision of God's good heart and perfect plans for a future. Read the end of Revelation. Read the prophets. Get a glimpse of God's intentions and God's heart. 
I think we are too easily discouraged and too easily enamored with what's wrong and we get ourselves get angry about it, we let ourselves get fearful about it. Expand your vision of God's design and purposes and future for us. And then finally, like Keith exhorted us last week to be ready church, wait expectantly. We are waiting, but not bored. We are waiting in anticipation, and there's things for us to do. There is work for us to be engaged in. Remember with the end of 1 Corinthians 15 that we spent weeks studying, uh, Paul exhorts us to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because our toil's not in vain. We're working towards this day. So I hope you are encouraged. Read um, Isaiah 11 this afternoon and think about the glories of what God has for us and renew your heart, renew your commitment, renew your understanding of how good God is and ask him to show you the places where you've allowed fear of what's going on around us to dominate your thinking and repent of that so that you can be free. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we have no need for fear. You have told us, do not let our hearts be troubled. Lord, when we get a glimpse of what you intend, how you want to make things so beautiful, we, we are stirred to worship. May we cling to that, Lord, so that we might live in a way that demonstrates your love and your beauty to the people around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.